Welcome, lovely listeners, to another episode of the Soccer Capital Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Turner, and with me in our Southern Illinois studios is our producer, Mason. And also joining us in uh, St. Louis County is Sean Campbell. Are you guys doing all right today? Doing just great. A little cold here. Hanging in there. It's snowing as we're recording, but it's going to be all right. Ooh. Yes, winners decided to be a bully and show up today just to, to harm us in our studio. <laughs> they are targeting us specifically. Yes. But we'll get them back. Revenge is my middle name. Hopefully we'll get them back by, say, March and not May, as happened a few years back. It's borderline like it is podcast policy that we are pro climate change to get revenge for winter. (laughs) I I lived 25 years in Arizona. I was a fan of winter in Arizona and not so much of a fan of the winter in the Midwest. But that's neither here nor there. We need to get into it. We got a big show for you all this week. Uh, But before we start, uh, please go ahead and... uh, Subscribe to your podcaster of choice and rate and review. It really does help the show. A little bit later on, we've got a guest for you this time around. We've got Moon Tower Soccer Podcast. we got Landon and Jeremiah came on to join us and share some of their experiences as they started off a new expansion club with Austin FC and how that went for them during the season. It's very interesting, and I'm sure you'll look forward to that. And we've got a lot of MLS news and, of course, the MLS Cup playoffs as well to go over. But first of all, we do have some information with uh, St. Louis City as well. Uh, big news that came out uh, yesterday, it dropped, is the LDL, the Lower uh, Division League, finally has a name four months before they start play. Came straight out of committee with the catchy moniker MLS Next Pro, which sounds like a uh, an app that you have on your phone that you have to subscribe and pay money to do. But uh, it's going to start in March of uh, 2022. St. Louis City will be involved before the first team even starts play. There'll be, uh, in addition to St. Louis City, 19 other MLS teams and one independent uh, team will be joining the league. And that's Rochester, New York FC, formerly known as the Rochester uh, Rhinos. Storied franchise, uh, good to have them in. And if you're not aware, one of their uh, owners is uh, Leicester City superstar Jamie Vardy, uh, is a part owner of that. And uh, exciting, exciting to have them into uh, the what's they're planning to be considered a Division Three league. They have not got Division Three status authorized through through U.S. Soccer yet, but uh, see if how that comes. Probably on par with uh, USL 2 or a step ahead. That would put it on par with uh, League 2, I believe, because USL Championship is Division 2, I believe. Yes, I believe that you are correct on that. Uh, There's also plans. They had listed eight other MLS clubs to join the following year in 2023. And if you do the math, that's 28 clubs. When St. Louis City joins, there'll be 29. I didn't find Columbus Crew on the list. I'm not sure why. They also said that they have plans to add more independent clubs to the league as well on this. They're going to run the season's pretty much going to be March through September on the schedule. It's a full league. Other details, we're not exactly forthright with that. So we're hoping to find out more in the future. Hopefully they're detailed before they start play in March, but one can never tell, can they? 
quick correction, it would put it on par with USL League One. Okay. Which is a which is a division three league, not League Two. League Two is semi pro, I believe. They did they have made pains in the past saying that this is not a reserve league. It's for youth and development. It's a reserve league. Yeah, it's a reserve league. <laughs> Uh, interesting to see how this goes because it's pulling all of the MLS based teams, I believe, out of USL and, uh, MLS is starting its own, you know, vertical monopoly on bringing players up to MLS, uh, could be terrible for USL. It could be a great thing for USL. It could open them up without this and, uh, start up a whole grassroots program. A lot of that have to do with how much of the money's out there in the soccer culture will be coming into MLS Next Pro, or if it will generate excitement and lead to bigger and better things for USL overall. Well, USL has been trying to distance itself from being seen as MLS's farm system for a long time, a good couple of years. So this is kind of like the finalization of that with them kind of fully separating. Um, and so now USL is free to go and do its own thing um, and pursue the smaller markets that MLS isn't uh, interested in filling, which I think is a good thing. There's a lot of support um, in cities that USL plays in for those clubs, mm-hmm. um, it, but they're smaller markets and not markets that MLS is interested in. I think it's generally fine. Um, it does also finally put to rest um, the idea that uh, that I was worried about of what's going to happen to our academy players, you know, specifically like the U-17s, when they age out, but the first team's not ready to take anyone, they're probably going to go here. And if they don't, probably like a lot of soccer youth all over the world, they got to find something to do. And uh, having USL out there would uh, really help with that as well once they get through the academy. Yeah, I was I was going to say it definitely gives that... Uh that one step for some people that might need to take a little longer to develop. And uh, Jamie Vardy actually said that's that he's really, really happy to see that that happen with this league because it gives players like him who are told in the Academy, you're not going to make it kid gives them a chance to find another league and, you know, take that next step a little later. And then if they end up not making it to MLS USL pro is there, just like you said, Mike, but uh, I'm, I'm also very excited to see this. It gets, you know, it does give players a little bit longer to develop and, and really form into MLS caliber players, and I'm excited to see it. Yeah, and then uh, giving a chance for somebody that washes out early really fits in uh, what happened with Jamie Vardy and his story. And uh, if you want more on that, uh, Extra Time uh, Radio Podcast had an interview with him in a yesterday show, I believe is when that one dropped. Also with the Academy, they did play in the MLS Next Fest. A lot of MLS Next out there to kind of sort out. Uh, they're in the Generation Adidas one. They were playing for uh, seeding and qualifiers for the Generation Adidas Cup. How that works out is as clear as mud, but they did play three games. Uh, they kind of got taken to task by a pretty hot and well-known Red Bull New York uh, Academy. Uh, they lost 3-0 in the first game and then had a couple of draws, one against the Timbers at 1-1. And then uh, had a 2-2 draw against Chicago in their three games there. St. Louis Scott Gallagher took a plethora of teams, and they were in the showcase side of MLS Next Fest, which doesn't exactly roll off the tongue. Uh, 
and they did pretty well. They had a couple of players to get into the uh, best of the tournament uh, teams for the U16s and U17s. Uh, they had a lot of teams there, and I don't have information on all of those, as it's hard to keep track of. Information with MLS Next can be kind of difficult to come by, so we try to suss out as much as we can uh, without driving ourselves insane. Yeah, a lot of names uh, that were thought up by a consulting firm and not a lot of concrete information about play on the field, but it is what it is. Yeah, yeah. MLS Next Pro is not exactly fun branding. It is a bad name. Let's and then the logo. Oh, and the yeah, the design. I was going to say, did God we look awful. at the graphics on the website? I mean, it's bad. I even <laughs> said it's like they took Wingdings and tried to make it legible and only half succeeded. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. (laughs) And uh, also with St. Louis City, for those of you that have the app, and if you don't, why don't you? Uh, They did have pictures and uh, pretty proud of uh, what's going on with the uh, underside of the canopy inside the stadium. Uh, They're going to have, uh, it's going to be, I should say it's inspired by the Gateway Arch. They're going to have brushed uh either stainless steel or aluminum panels on the other side of the canopy to match the stainless steel panels, rectangular panels on the arch. Very nice look and uh, a very good touch by the club who are making pretty good decisions here in the early days of the history of the franchise. Let's hope they keep it up for a long time. Not all decisions are going to be 100%, of course. Let's hope they say on the positive side of that ledger. And, uh, you know, we're all excited very much about this, seeing that stadium get up and running, uh, getting the academy kids, see where the academy plays, where the MLS Next Pro team's going to play. Hopefully in the stadium com- uh, complex, March might be a little early for that since we're into winter. So they might be still at Creep Cooler Park. We'll have to see. Haven't had any official word on that as of yet. And that kind of wraps up the news that we have for this week with St. Louis City. We'll keep you up to date every week as we get other information coming in. It'll come in and trickles here for a little while and then ramp up in a few months from now as part of the, you know, process of getting an expansion team going. Uh, Austin FC was the expansion team this past season in MLS, and uh, we did... uh, Join up with uh, Moon Tower Soccer Podcast with uh, Landon Connum and Jeremiah Bentley. And they were kind enough to join us to talk about the process that they went through as fans of uh, an expansion team. I think you're really going to like what they had to say. So here's Moon Tower Soccer. Enjoy. Well, we got a very special guest today on the Soccer Capital Podcast. Uh, two of them. They're from the uh, Moon Tower Soccer Podcast that uh, talks about Austin FC. We've got Landon Connum. And Jeremiah Bentley on with us. How are you guys doing today? Doing well. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, we love to find, we love to uh, talk to other folks who talk about soccer without a team because we did that for a long time. So we're (laughs) excited to join y'all. And that's part of the reason why we want to have you on is because you're fresh and excited about getting ready when you didn't have a team. And that's exactly where we're at. Uh, So I guess the big question I have to start off with is, what exactly is Moon Tower Soccer? What's it referencing? I assume that it's something in Austin. Uh, yeah, so the Moon Towers are kind of a, um, like, Austin landmarks, but it was, do you remember what year that was, Jeremiah? 1800s? 
Yeah, sometime in the 1800s, the moon towers went in. It's like a a lighting system back before we had street lighting or anything like that. They they kind of put them in all around the city so that people could could be lit at night. And we do plan to do a podcast about the history of moon towers. Um, so we're, we're sort of researching it. But um, I don't know, Landon. Do you want to like? Do you want to add on the the double meaning of it for Austin specifically? Yeah. So there, there's this historical significance, but then also there's uh, um kind of a cult movie called Dazed and Confused starring a, a very mm-hmm. young Matthew McConaughey, which is his very first role. And so there's kind of a, right. a double significance there with McConaughey being an owner of the team. And the, that movie Dazed and Confused references the moon towers in Austin. And um, so there's like kind of that double meaning, but also just it being kind of an iconic Austin landmark. We, we were trying to think of a, a very Austin name without we, we, of course, couldn't call it the Austin FC podcast because of uh, copyright infringement and whatnot. But we wanted to make make the brand be very Austin. And so that's that's kind of the, the name we ended up on. But yeah, it works on on multiple levels due to Matthew McConaughey being a part owner of the team. All right. All right. All right. <laughs> there you go. Got it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so getting to the nuts and bolts about what happened, what has happened in Austin. Uh, first thing. Uh, I want to ask is before Anthony Precourt moved the franchise there, was there a strong existing uh, soccer culture in Austin? I imagine in Texas that close to the border, there was some, but was it organized or was it just, you know, uh, a despair fan base? I mean, I think this is something we've talked about a little bit, but I mean, there were obviously there was, there were a couple USL clubs before that were not that successful. Um, in Austin. And I think there's like a lot of people who are in Austin who are really into, really into soccer. And there's like a ton of big premier league supporters groups and there's like big, um, youth systems. And, but I don't think there was a lot of major league soccerists in Austin. And I think that was a real leap of faith. Um, we Atlanta and I talk about how, when we started doing this show, like everybody listened to the show was somebody we knew because like, it was like a, 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 a just a beginning soccer culture around this league um, you know, and now it's blossomed and grown. So we, I mean, I appreciate the fact that somebody had the foresight to see that that was like, that this was an untapped market, uh, and that it would grow into what it is. And I'm just like pleasantly surprised by that every day. Yeah, it was it, it very much, I think a soccer city in certain senses, but not necessarily an MLS city. So we were, Austin always does really well in uh, national team viewership on television. And like Jeremiah said, if there's a big Premier League matchup, there's going to be several bars throughout the city who are, that are packed at 8 a.m. for this big Premier League showdown. So uh, lots of soccer people in the city, but it w- we weren't sure for a long time if it was going to transition to MLS and as we got closer and closer it became obvious that it was going to but we there was a while where we did not know if it was actually going to work here so I guess follow-up question to that would be uh for those of you and your listeners that uh that were MLS fans what was it like uh hearing you're going to get a a team in your own town um and I guess do they still root for their old clubs what was it like trying to bring that together yeah, I think there are quite a few people who did come from other MLS markets that did have teams. I mean, Austin is a big transplant city. There's a lot of people who live here who I would say a, a really large percentage of people who live in Austin 
aren't from here and came from somewhere else in the U.S. And so there's a, there are a lot of people who are extremely involved in supporters culture now uh, that did have a former MLS team. And I think now, I mean, living in a city and having a team to support, it's it's not the same thing as trying to root for a team across the country, right? So I think most of those folks have come over to the Austin FC side and then whenever uh, their other teams are playing in another game, they'll cheer for them. But, but if they ever meet up, at, le- at least the folks that I know personally, I think they would cheer for Austin FC in, in that matchup. It also helps that you're the only pro sports team in town, uh, uh, unless you count the University of Texas football program. But uh, that does That's all under the does table. Help. It doesn't count. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, you, you mentioned University Did of I Texas. Did I say that out loud? <laughs> you mentioned University of Texas, though. But th- this goes back to what I was saying about Austin being a transplant city is that there's a ton of people in town who have no connection to the University of Texas. And I think that's part of why this has worked is that um, I think for a long time, people looked at UT as a reason why a pro sports team might not work in Austin. But times are different. Like this city's changed a lot in the last 10 years. And so Jeremiah went to UT. He's a UT football fan. I did not. I'm from a different part of Texas. I didn't grow up here. I didn't go to UT. And I know way more people in town who didn't go to UT than did. And so th- we actually got our first matchup in this season where there's a UT game going on in town at the same time as an Austin FC game. And the stadium was still really full and uh, people are into it. So it's it's a different place than it was. And I think the UT thing is maybe a bit overplayed by by national media at this point as far as the the rivalry between the two the two teams. I'd agree. It, it kind of smacks at what happened with Atlanta United uh, and Atlanta United being the only hometown team uh, that wasn't transplanted and especially the only hometown team for those that moved to Atlanta. So it's, you know, it's the changing face of American demographics is really what it comes down to. Yeah, it is. And I, I went to Atlanta uh, a couple years ago with like a business group. And one of the most amazing things I learned on that trip is that like Atlanta United and the Atlanta Falcons have, I think it's a 3% overlap in season ticket holders. Like it's just a completely different audience. So you can have a very successful NFL team and a very successful major league talk soccer team in the same city. Um, when you're in a city like that, you know, that, uh, that has that diversity and has those different interests. And I, I mean, I was surprised by that. Like I would have thought, you know, well, it's the, all these companies that support Atlanta also, you know, the Falcons also support Atlanta United, but I thought it was really interesting to see that it's like, it's a completely separate, um, evolving and unique demographic that supports major league soccer. Yeah, that's interesting. We might have the same thing in St. Louis with, uh, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals and all their season ticket holders. They're probably not buying a season tickets for, um, uh, St. Louis City since the seasons overlap, but there's certainly a large enough uh, soccer base to support it. No, I think everyone's certain of that here. Also, uh, looking at the building process of how the team started, uh, was there, when they started with the expansion rosters and all that, was there a defined idea of the style of play before the hiring of Josh Wolf as the head coach? Or uh, was it really left up to him to make that definition of what the team's style of play was going to be? Uh, I, yeah, I don't know that they're – I mean, at that point, before Josh Wolf was hired, because he was hired pretty early on, really the only front office folks we were hearing from was President Andy Lochnane and then 
uh, a couple of other marketing people. And so, I mean, you, you get the same lines, right? We're going to play attractive, attacking soccer, blah, 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 which you get from everyone. But I think before that point, I don't know that they necessarily, if, if they did have an idea, they, they may not have verbalized that. But Josh Wolf was the first uh, technical staff hire even before the general manager, Claudio Reyna. So um, I think that was really the first kind of flag in the ground. Like this is what we're going to do because uh, he, although Wolf had not been a head coach ever, he was uh, Greg Berhalter's assistant for many, many years. And so I think we all kind of assumed it was going to be a very Berhalterian system. And that's what we ended up getting. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of the opposite of what we have here. We've got a defined technical director in Lutz Feinensteel. He knows exactly how he's going to play, and the head coach will fit into that. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to watch how, how you guys build out your team because, um, yeah, having doing it pretty differently from what we did. And, uh, yeah, and but, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things like Feinensteel was successful in Germany and, and uh, people from the outside, I don't want to say foreigners because there's – foreign coaches and foreign GMs in MLS who do really well, but it's folks who have been around the league for a while tend to be the people who do well in MLS. So having someone coming from outside the league, um, it seems, it seems right now that they're setting things up in a, in a really good way there in St. Louis, but uh, it'll be interesting to watch if, if they can kind of overcome the, the history of the league and that mostly people from inside the league are the ones who do well in the league. Yeah, I brought that up in our last podcast, actually, and we'll see how we'll see how it goes. It's uh, so early days uh, on that. Uh, for you guys, uh, both of you, uh, before this uh, all started, before you got off the ground, because this is about a year ago when you had the expansion draft and things really started kicking off for you. How familiar were you with the MLS process uh, for an expansion team? Yeah, I'll start with that. I mean, I I knew nothing about it at, at all. Like, I'm a soccer fan for a long time. I'm like a Liverpool guy. Um, when we talked about, don't don't like this is a this is an audio medium. Don't roll your eyes at me. I'm sorry. I'm a Tottenham fan. I had to do it. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the the reason I brought that up it kind of ties back to your question about other people who are other MLS fans. Like, I still love Liverpool, but in but it's like orders of magnitude less than Austin FC. Like it's very different to have a team in your city um, and be in the supporter section and, you know, and like live it every day. Like that's very different from like, Oh, I like the Beatles. So I'm going to like follow Liverpool or whatever decision I made 12 years ago. Um, So I, I didn't know really anything about it, you know, and I've had to learn as I go and I appreciate, you know, Landon helping me along and doing that. And I would encourage people to sort of just dig in and figure it out. And one thing that uh, major league soccer is really good about is, being open with the rules. Like if you have a question about how the expansion draft works or designated players or the roster, like they're really good about having all those specific details, you know, on the website, if you're willing to dig into them um, and look into it, which, you know, I appreciate cause I don't feel like every sport in this country is necessarily that way with the specifics. I can think of one in particular that's very opaque kind of on purpose to the point where they even their own referees don't know the rules. <laughs> You talking about hockey? No, I'm talking about the NFL. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. Well, yeah. But it's all about just the Benjamins. <laughs> what plays well on TV? Uh, 
Yeah, I know all about the uh, MLS roster rules and all that. I've been digging into it pretty deeply. And they've got a lot of information there. And it's a good thing because it is kind of Byzantine. There's a lot going on. Uh, but, you know, other leagues in the world haven't had to start everything up from scratch and bringing in new teams from scratch. So, yeah, yeah I guess you do what you do on the fly and it builds and builds. Uh, uh, how familiar are you with the... Uh, the buckets, the allocation monies, the TAMs, the GAMs. <laughs> uh, we've gotten fairly familiar with them over the last few years. So to go back to your previous question, I was not really an MLS fan. I I essentially knew uh, the U.S. national team players that were playing in MLS. I kept up with them. But outside of that, I didn't really follow it. And then whenever the rumors kicked up in like 2017, that's when I really started paying attention and uh, – like I'm, I'm one of those people who like, if I'm going to get into something, I'm going to really get into it and I'm going to know everything there is to know about it. And so I started digging in around then and watched a lot of MLS over the next two seasons, even though Austin wasn't playing yet. And so really dug in. And then the, the allocation money stuff was, was tough to parse. And we actually did a, like a Gam and Tim 101 episode a while back, um, it was probably close to a year ago, but it really starts to make it a lot easier to to understand once you have context for it. So uh, we, when you sign a player, you say, okay, this guy's going to be on this much money or he's going to be around this, and you start like putting the puzzle pieces together. And I think that's when it really started kind of clicking for us is when we had – it wasn't just an abstract concept. It was like, hey, this is a real thing, and these, these players are on money now. And – figuring out what slot they're going to fit into or like how many senior roster spots we have left. Like that, I think that's when it really kind of started clicking for us and we're not going to pretend to understand it completely because I don't think there's many people in the world who understand it all completely. But uh, <laughs> I, I'd say we're, we're definitely um, smarter than the average bear about allocation money at this point. That's good to know. I'm trying to get up to speed. I've been trying to follow it for, quite a few years now and i've got a it's like trying to grab an eel out of the water as soon as you think you got a hold of it it slips away Absolutely. that's kind of how i feel about yeah, it. yeah that's well, right <laughs> we're at the point now where we, when we get it too wrong like the front office will call us and or text us <laughs> and, and, there you go and, and tell us i mean they never like publicly you know they, but, and they uh, won't tell us how we got it wrong or what's right but They'll tell us that you got it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting messages from your handlers in coded language. (laughs) Sounds more like math class. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you said, uh, I don't know how many people know. Judging from the way some MLS franchises are run, I'd say there's probably about 18 people out there that actually know how to work all the buckets, and that's spread across 29 teams. (laughs) And that's, yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's probably right, because, um, uh, y'all are probably familiar with Sam Stayskull and Paul Tenorio from The Athletic. Mm-hmm. They like Sam Stayskull has said on their podcast before that while talking to an MLS general manager, he was like asking certain questions about how they were going to fit stuff into the roster, and that general managers in MLS have been like, "Oh, I didn't think about it that way." And like, <laughs> so like Sam Stayskull might understand it better than some MLS GMs. So, uh, yeah, it's maybe not a great sign for the system if the people who are running it don't really understand how to use it. 
Yeah. Uh, I understand that completely. And it seems like uh, everyone that does is comes out of Seattle <laughs> lately. That's why they're getting all the GMs everywhere. Wanted to change things up a little bit. And thank you guys for your time. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, you got the club started. There was a lot of excitement. Y'all got off to a great start on the road while you were waiting for the stadium to be finished. And then the excitement around the stadium. But then you... The club fell into the usual uh, mid-season expansion blues there for a while. How was it to try to keep your enthusiasm up and keep going uh, during that lull time that almost all expansion teams face? I mean, I will say for for me that and this is one of the things I was pleasantly surprised by. And it, I feel like y'all have the same experience, too, because I know that there's a ton of excitement. Um it's the like I, we leaned into the other fans, right? Like there's, you know, we were bad this year, but there was a lot of cool songs and tifo and like quirky little like there's like kids who are local Austin celebrities now because they like took their shirt off and like whipped it around their hair during a game, and you know, I mean, it's just that community thing. Um, I think always kept me going, uh, for sure because you know the results in the field weren't great, but you knew, you know, my 3,500 closest friends were going to show up, you know, every game day and like sing and yell and chant for the full 90 and like pop smoke at the bar before. And, you know, it was like the experience part of it, I think really sustained, sustained me through sort of a, a dark second half of the season. Yeah. We're in the uh, supporters section and uh, from the USL days and from before there's a strong supporters group here in St. Louis. So that's what I'm counting on. Just keep it going, keep going for the squad and all that. The fans can really carry you through. And by the way, uh, from the outside, your fan base looks rabid. It looks fantastic. The stadium looks good. You've got everything going. Now you just need to get the squad up and running. And that's what almost every expansion team faces, especially one without unlimited pockets, like we've seen from a couple other squads. So Actually, kudos to Austin. Followed him all year to see how it went. And, you know, it. you did pick it up at the end. You got Jite. You finally got your uh, striker on the team. Seemed to change things and played well down the down the stretch. Kudos for you guys. Well, thank you. A uh, couple of last things before we wrap this up. Uh, the roster moves have been decided now for most teams in MLS, and Austin FC included. Uh any surprises or disappointments of uh, who was released from contract? Uh, I think our biggest surprise was uh, there are two of them, Jared Stroud and Ben Sweat. So Jared Stroud was an expansion tr- expansion draft pick from Red Bulls. Uh, had a pretty hot start for us and then kind of played himself out of the starting lineup. And then we saw him quite a bit at the end of the season again. And we were curious what that was going to mean. And I think it was – and the truth was it was him – auditioning for his own job uh and he didn't pass the audition but then Ben Sweat tore his ACL in the second game of the season and uh he actually looked pretty good in preseason in those couple of games that he played but uh I think maybe we have a a young Slovenian kid John Kolmanich who stepped in for him and looked promising he's still young and a bit raw but a promising guy and so I think they're thinking Ben Sweat was um maybe a little bit too expensive for a backup left back. So I think those are the two main ones. Uh, and then home, like 
not entirely homegrown kid, but Kukuta Mane spent his teenage years here in Austin and was adopted by a family here in Austin. So a little bit sad to see him go, but his on-field production did not did not warrant a contract renewal. Yeah, I agree. Those those were the names that stood out to me as well. Uh, and finally, one last question for you. Now that you've got one season under your belt and you know what you've got for the roster that you've played, what kind of things are you looking forward to heading into Austin's second season? I think, so we've got, what, eight, eight, eight open roster spots right now. And um, I think, Matt, you know, Matt Beasler retired, who was sort of, I think folks thought would be sort of our rock, you know, at center back for, you know, two or three years. So I think our, you know, our number one goal in the offseason will be to add strength in the central defense, which was a place we broke down in in the second half of the season after he was gone. And I think we still need a little more in the tax. So, you know, it's weird. I mean, the season is starts at the end of February, but we're already talking about roster build stuff. Right. And people are excited about where we're going to go and who we're going to add and how things are going to change. Um, and I really feel like there's almost no off season um, at this point. Like we took, I think we took one week off um, and then got right back at it because everybody's fired up for what next year has to hold both in terms of how we might advance, and then there's a lot of... It's a fairly significant contingent of the fan base that's not in love with Josh Wolf as a head coach based upon the results in the first season. And so, you know, there's a lot of people looking for development and uh, and sort of moving forward and seeing we're making progress. And then w- what we say a lot is, like, thank God we're not FC Cincinnati. And so a lot of us are, like, <laughs> praying that that we don't have a Cincinnati-style open to the season. Yeah, we look at we look at Austin, we look at Nashville, go, we want to be like them. We don't want to be like Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about all I've got for you guys today. You got anything else to add? I uh, I don't know. It just it's cool that y'all are y'all are starting up so early. It's we talked about I mean, yeah, we had shows for a long time where <laughs> we pretty much had Rodney Redes and a coach, and that was all we were talking about. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, enjoy it, and it's it's going to be a wild ride. But uh, it it looks like y'all are building something pretty cool over in St. Louis. So I'm excited to see what y'all do. No, thank you for that. That is uh, Landon Cottom and uh, Jeremiah, Jeremiah Bentley. Sorry, Jeremiah of Moon Tower Soccer, and it's available everywhere that you get your podcast. And uh, anything else? Uh, anywhere else you do any work, or is it just all on the podcast for you guys? Yeah, pretty much just all there. We we both are still working day jobs. Uh, podcasting doesn't pay the bills yet. So uh, we put all of our soccer energy into Moon Tower Soccer right now. Yeah, and we do. That's what we do as well. Yeah, we do. Uh, we work with Striker Texas, which is a mm-hmm. Texas-based, subscription-based Texas website that covers uh, Austin, Dallas, and Houston, along with all the USL clubs. So there's some pretty good stuff there, too, if people want to read more. If for some reason people in St. Louis want to read more about Austin FC, and I don't know why, like the striker Texas. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You also got John Arnold, uh, famous for his CONCACAF coverage with striker Texas, don't you? Yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, he's he's great. He's and we've we interviewed him in the season preview to talk about their their perspective. But yeah, John and then Chris Bills, who was the writer for our local. Um, daily newspaper that was like covered all the whole Columbus to Austin drama and all that is also also rice for the striker Texas. So it's a, it's a good site. Very good. 
And very good stuff, you guys. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you again sometime in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Thank, thanks for having us. And we look forward to kind of tracking y'all's progress over the next couple of years as well. All right. Take care. Thanks, y'all. Thanks once again to Moon Tower Soccer for joining us. Good information there to know exactly what they went through as they start up an expansion team. Very good information to know even this far in advance. Had a ton of fun recording that one, so I hope that you all liked it. Really got nice guys, too. Really appreciate them coming on. And now it's the time in the show when we go talk about the MLS Cup playoffs. It was the conference finals. There's silverware for this, believe it or not. Uh, and the first one that was played was on Saturday night, was uh, or Saturday afternoon, I should say. Portland got the win. Pretty comprehensive one, 2-0 over Real Salt Lake. Uh, no Sebastian Blanco. Didn't need him, though they said he could have come in uh, in the second half if need be, considering how bad that hamstring uh, injury had looked the week before. Uh, didn't think he had a chance of playing perhaps in the whole playoffs. Looks like uh, he may very well be available for the final uh, coming up. RSL just looked toothless. Portland pretty much had him strapped down. Any uh, great takeaways from this one from you, Sean? I mean, honestly, it just looked like Portland being Portland and RSL just ran out of gas. I was a little worried that, that uh, RSL might have a chance at really coming back into this because they didn't have, you know, Portland didn't have uh, Espria either. But Portland came out, did Portland things, and won in Portland fashion. So now they get to host the MLS final. They do. At Providence Park with Timber Joy. Going to be a lot of fun there. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Uh, probably the lasting thing I took away from this is uh, Real Salt Lake's uh, goalkeeper, David Achoya. Uh, didn't have the greatest of games in the playoffs for him. Things were pretty rough. Uh, Portland was all over him. And uh, during the course of the match, he's making a lot of, uh, you know, facial expressions and uh, body language that reminded me a lot of. Mr. Bean. And once I saw it, I couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> if next time uh, when the season starts up and you see him, think about that. Or if he ever plays against the U.S. for the uh, Mexican national team, we can call him Mr. Bean. The second game was very interesting. That was on Sunday afternoon. New York City FC against uh, Philadelphia. Philadelphia hosting the game at a sold-out and raucous Subaru Park. Uh, the Duke fans really came out on that one. It was a great atmosphere. Uh, if you watch the broadcast, uh, all you could hear was the chants of the Sons of Ben supporters group ringing in your ears throughout the game. Philadelphia was really under the cosh coming into this. They had some COVID under the health and safety protocols. They were missing about eight out of their top 15 uh, rotation. A lot of starters, including Sergio Santos, wasn't there, Kai Wagner, uh, Ilsenio was out. Uh, Jacob Lesnes, uh, their captain, Alejandro Badoya, was not there. So they were really missing the heart and core of their team. Uh, and, it, it, you know, they were favored over NYCFC 2-1 to one by the bookies two days before the game. And then the day before the game, it completely flopped to where NYCFC was a 2-1 to one favorites. And the way the game started with a bunch of young kids, unused veterans, people off the bench, 
Philadelphia came out with their usual pressing attacking style, and they were very, very active. They were very quick to restart, and they actually put NYCFC back on their heels in the first half. Uh, and uh, it was, you know, it could have been put away very early given the team out there if uh, City had gone after them, but they didn't. The crowd was great, and they grew and grew into the game. And uh, then actually in the, was it in the second half or first half that they actually got the first goal? Philadelphia in the second half, they got the goal and they took the lead. It looks like they'd be able to hold on two minutes later. The NYC uh, got the equalizer on that, but it stayed tied all the way down into the very dying breaths of the game when uh, there was a scramble in front of the goal, uh, the Brazilian $12 million transfer, Talos Magno, who's 19 years old, uh, was able to get in, got in the box, beat all of his men and tapped it in and gave New York City the win. They get their first uh, silverware in their franchise history, albeit for a conference championship. And uh, actually, this was a very exciting game to watch. Went down to the end. A lot of disappointed people in Philadelphia. Circumstances definitely against them losing all those players. It's uh, tough for them. They were gallant in defeat, but uh, New York City FC finally gets to a final. And I think Ronnie Dahlia did a very good job at halftime in rallying his team, who was played pretty passive and a little further back than they should have been. They got that correct in the second half, and they finally dominated the game, wore out Philadelphia, and got the win. So it's uh, this weekend. We've got MLS Cup in Providence Park, Portland against uh, New York City. After what I saw, especially if New York City comes out like they did in this one, passive, back on defense, Portland, from what I've seen, looks to be the team in charge. At home, they're playing pretty well. Blanco may be there. Dairon Espruya will be back with them after his uh, red card suspension for the conference finals. I think Portland's going to win MLS Cup. What do you guys think? I've seen too many upsets. I'm not making a prediction. <laughs> Mason, you may be too afraid to make a prediction, but uh, I'm thinking if this game doesn't go to PKs, Portland's got it in the bag. Uh, but if it goes to PKs, like we've seen many games that we thought were in the bag, I, I could see it going either way. But my my money's going on Portland, though, as much as I hate to say it. I really wanted the Union to win that game because I really wanted them to win their first cup. But, you know, got to go with the stats and the stats say Portland. They looking good, but, uh, you know, it's MLS chaos. Madness reigns supreme. We'll see what happens. And it's going to be on ABC uh, this weekend. There's also a lot of news coming out of MLS uh, this week. Uh, they did announce, I believe it dropped today, that they've got a whole new set of hiring protocols that encompasses teams in the front office, at the top, all the way through assistant coaches, academy coaches, all the way through. They're going to be mandated to give opportunities to uh, candidates from underrepresented communities on this, especially pointing towards uh, black slash African-American was in the release. Uh, MLS has already got some of the best, if not the best, hiring practices of major North American uh, leagues. And this is tightening them down. $50,000 fine for the first offense, 100000 for the second and third, perhaps more. May not sound like much in the context of North American leagues, 
but uh, for MLS teams, that's a pretty price to pay, especially some of the older owners out there that don't like to pay any money. They're not going to want to be run afoul of those fines at all. The details of it, I'm not sure of. Have to do more digging into it if that money actually is a cash paid out by the owner, by the club. And if they really wanted to do damage, they would take it out of their allocation money. I don't think that's going to happen in this case, though. The big thing about this is uh, it applies also to MLS Next and MLS Next Pro. So it's all the way up and down the entire MLS uh, behemoth, let's say, as they're starting to build with all of these different leagues that they're joining up. I mean, I think this is largely a good thing. Um, but go ahead and uh, get yourself ready to hear a lot of screaming and crying about affirmative action. Just get yourself ready for it. It's coming. Mm. No, they're not mandating they be hired. Just mandating that they have opportunities. Yeah, but you think anyone who's going to cry about this cares? About that, <laughs> I think a lot of people that cry about it aren't paying any attention to MLS. To be honest, <laughs> no, trust me. There, all of a sudden, there's going to be a lot of eyes from people who we don't want eyes from looking at this and screaming about cancel culture and affirmative action and a lot of stuff. And it's going, it's not going to be fun. No, do the right thing and stick to your guns. And that's what MLS is going to do in this case. Yeah, but looking at it from a slightly different standpoint before we switch gears, mm-hmm. um, I see this as a as another step in the right direction for coaching hires specifically because I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but uh, not just in MLS, but in a lot of leagues really around the world, uh, it just seems like a coach gets fired in one place because the team's not performing well and then gets hired in another place in the same league. And it's just kind of a revolving door of the same few coaches that have gotten success in the past. And it really gives a it's it's going to give a better chance to some of these guys that have been maybe minor, you know, assistant coaches elsewhere and give them a chance at the big time and newer, newer ideas and thought processes coming into this in, into this league. And with as many opportunities as we have for head coaches out there right now, I think we're down to like four, but there's still a couple of expansion teams looking for coaches. So, you know, I, I think giving new guys another chance or a, their first chance really would be very good for the league. MLS has done a pretty good job lately of not just recycling the old names that were around the league. You could say Bruce Arena's recycled, but Bruce Arena's the best coach perhaps MLS has ever seen, you know, within relative to the league itself. They do bring out a lot of other people. One thing in this uh, protocol that also applies, it, it goes all the way through the academies. And one thing MLS did say about the MLS Next Pro, the third division, lower division league, is that it was a way to train not just players and develop them, but also an opportunity to train uh, uh, administrators, front office people, uh, coaches, and also referees, which is a, a positive any more opportunity to get more referees out there to work and get experience would be a great thing uh, for soccer in this country. Anybody that's watched a lot of games will note that. As for head coaches out there, as we were talking about, there's an interesting development on the international stage as a uh, former MLS head coach of uh, New York Red Bulls, amongst others, uh, Montreal Impact, Jesse Marsh uh, left, as they said, by mutual agreement from RB Leipzig in the Bundesliga. Uh, So he's out there and available 
uh, kind of raised my eyebrow when I saw that. I really don't believe that Jesse Marsh is going to leave Europe. But if he could be enticed back across the pond, could it be to start up a club from scratch in his mold with a sporting director that wants a coach that runs the exact system that Jesse Marsh was running with Red Bulls, that he was running with Leipzig, though Leipzig, because they had Julian Nagelsmann as their head coach, kind of got away from the high-pressing style and more possession game. Marsh was all set up to be the head coach of Leipzig, but somehow in the meantime, over a year, the team philosophy sort of changed away from him, and he never seemed to be a good fit uh, for them. And uh, supposedly from interviews of uh, personnel with the club at Leipzig, they said the same that even Jesse Marsh said, came to him and goes, you know, things have changed. I'm not sure if I'm a good fit with this particular band of people. Would it be a particular uh, fit in Lutz Steel system that he wants to incorporate all the way through the whole system for St. Louis City? Yes, of course he would. He'd probably be the number one candidate. Would he leave to come back to MLS for this opportunity? Probably not. It's just a thought out there. Uh, if I was City, I would have already been in contact as soon as the news broke on that. And then also, if he was amenable to the change to come over and be the head coach of an expansion team in MLS, he probably comes with high salary demands. And would the club ownership actually pay that price to bring him in? And that's a question I'd really love to know the answer to. Do you guys have any additional thoughts on that possibility, albeit how small it might be? Be a huge get if we did. <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, if he's if if he wants to come come to MLS and the coach the ownership's willing to pay him, I mean, he's already got what almost nine years worth of experience coaching at MLS as it was. So I mean, he already knows the league. That gives us that balance back of having that European influence with someone who's been around the league and the American influence that Lutz keeps talking about. So I, I mean, the only thing I see this not working is him not wanting to leave Europe, but. I he, really like don't. Said, that expansion yeah, I don't think team, he's going to leave. Go ahead. I was going to say that expansion team is could be pretty enticing for someone like him, where it's like you know I fit the system and I can build the system of you know sort of the way I want to. It's already there. It's just a, a good fit. So who knows? Yeah, it's just a thought, an enticing one. Uh, there's thoughts on that that uh, you know could bring him over. Uh, with that, you know, starting up the team from scratch like Bob Bradley did with LAFC and really put his stamp on the club. Uh, Tato Martino also was enticed to come to Atlanta United to start up a club and molded in him's image. So there's an enticement. It's a thought process, uh, you know, a mind palace game for us. I really think Marsh is going to want to stay and pursue his career in in Europe. And probably has real opportunity to get another uh, top flight job in the Bundesliga for sure, I would imagine. There's another head coach out there that's in the discussion this week in MLS, and that is uh, Philadelphia Union head coach Jim Curtin, who's done such a fabulous job with the Union. Uh, it came out that uh, FC Cincinnati and uh, their new GM, Chris Albright, who used to work with Curtin with the Union, are hot on the not to get Jim Curtin to leave the union and come over to Cincinnati. There's a lot of obstacles here. Curtin's been with them forever. Uh, brought the academy up, bringing the kids up, done a fabulous job with them. He's under contract. The union would just have to say no. 
Uh, though there was comments that he made after the game on Sunday with NYCFC. He says, we just don't have the ability to bring a $10 million player off the bench to come in and win a game like they did with Talis Magno. Uh, no, the union do not. They've historically not spent that kind of money. FC Cincinnati has thrown out stupid money, stupidly, uh, throughout their entire life, but they seem to have a lot of ambitions. And, you know, with Chris Albright, who's well-respected coming in as a general manager's role or sporting director role, Jim Curtin coming in, maybe they throw stupid cash at the union and at Jim Curtin to try to entice him. Again, I don't think it's going to happen, but it's out there. And there could be enticements out there more than just, you know, salary for Curtin to make that move over to Cincinnati. We got a couple of other things coming out of uh, today. Don Garber with the announcement of the hiring practices with the announcement of MLS Next Pro. The coming up at MLS Cup, he did a press conference today. Quite a few interesting things in there. Uh, one of those was that uh, they're still looking in the expansion process for other teams. He mentioned Las Vegas. Of course, he did. He mentioned San Diego and Phoenix out there. Phoenix doesn't have a viable uh, stadium complex to work with. Uh, one mission that was highlighted was Sacramento was not part of that discussion. They had the team. They lost their investment. Now it looks like they're losing the opportunity to even get an MLS franchise feel sorry for the soccer fans in uh, Sacramento about that. But if it's all tied to, with one billionaire investor and he gets cold feet with COVID, they're out of the picture. And uh, Las Vegas is in in a big way. Uh, he said that nothing's been decided yet. Uh, they'll make their final decision. Uh, just give you a hint. It's going to be Las Vegas. They're going to be called the villains. They're going to start probably in 2024. They will not start in 2023. St. Louis will have the league all to themselves as an expansion team. Uh, they've got stadium to work with, and they have an ownership group that actually wants to build a global network like Citigroup or Red Bulls is doing, and they want to do it in a MLS. Whether that's smart or not, I don't know. I do think that we, we all knew this was coming with Sacramento, though, because they had just gone dark for so long that you know, we kind of all knew that that had fallen through completely. But... We kind of have the confirmation now. Yeah. Uh, and, and pretty clear that uh, there won't be another expansion team in 2023. Good news for City. We'd like to keep it all on us. All eyes on us uh, a year from now. Also, yeah, we talked a lot about uh, MLS TV rights last show. And in this one, Garber had a lot of very interesting things to say about those negotiations. Uh, he did say that he expects uh, to be announced in about, I believe it was 10 months that he said, later in uh, 2022. Uh, he said that all games will be on local broadcast, whether that's through your regional sports networks, TV or something. It's going to be in the package, probably behind a paywall like it is with ESPN+. He also said that MLS Next Pro will be included in this as well. And in addition to all the games being broadcast, there will be no blackouts in the new MLS TV rights package, which will be unique among all North American leagues. I believe all of them have always had blackouts. MLS is fighting to get rid of them. And he says that's going to be part of the package as well. 
makes me curious that who's leading the negotiations on that then, because the blackouts have typically been the network's leverage the, you know, yeah, sure. You can do all this, but we're blacking out local games. So they have to watch on, you know, uh, through local broadcasters or whatever. Actually, sports does this. uh, NBC did this. It's pretty typical. Makes me wonder who's leading on this. Well, actually, it's not the television companies that do the blackouts. They'd rather not have them. It's the club owners that have always insisted on blacking out. So people will go to sit in the stands instead of watching on TV, though they get most of their revenue from, you know, TV rights. It's it's an antiquated thought going back to the 70s that's held on amongst the leagues. There's just too many options out there to view it. People will still want to go to the games, especially MLS games. The soccer experience is, is so exciting to go to. They could get rid of it in baseball. You're not going to lose you know, fans going to a baseball game. It's an experience more than to actually watch the game itself. So it, it, that's good on MLS again. They don't do everything right, and some would say they don't do anything right, but they've done a couple of things right here. One other bit of information, he did say Cincinnati's going to put $50 million into their NFL stadium to make it more soccer-specific. Apparently, also part of that is putting grass in. Charlotte. What'd I say? Cincinnati. Uh, Charlotte. My apologies to Charlotte and to Cincinnati, I guess. (laughs) Uh, But... uh, they're going to spend that money. Charlotte's owner is, he is incredibly ambitious. He's going to be part of this new ownership groups that really want to expand their teams like in Atlanta and some of the newer teams. So it's something to keep an eye on with them as they start up in 2022. And uh, getting to the end of the show, but one thing we do want to go over very quickly is, you know, it's the end of the season. Charlotte's coming in as an expansion team. There's processes here that we should pay attention to because they will apply to us a year from now. And uh, we've got the expansion draft is upcoming. Uh, There's free agency openings as well. Uh, December 12th, there is a half-day trade window, which, uh, uh, talking to the guys with Moon Tower Soccer, Austin had used that uh, to their advantage on this. It's a chance to get MLS veterans prior to the expansion draft, it's a way for teams to either pick up people that they will uh, or don't want to expose in the expansion draft. And often these trades come with allocation money, and uh, expansion teams get a much bigger allotment of allocation money to spend. So could see some trades, how that goes. It'd be interesting to keep an eye on how it works uh, heading into when St. Louis has to do it. Then uh, December 13th at noon... You get the full list of free agents that will be available, uh, given the tight reins that MLS has on free agents, have to have certain service time, age, etc. There's a whole laundry list of them. The December 14th is the expansion draft, where Charlotte gets to pick amongst those five players left open by various clubs to the expansion draft. Uh, And then... uh, December 15th, you get the end of the year waivers and free agency signing window actually opens on December 15th. Those players that are put on waivers or out of contract, there's the re-entry draft for them. There's two legs of that December 17th and 23rd. That's a little bit in the future. 
and get more information on that as it goes forward. But those are some interesting dates coming up the next week. A lot of excitement on that to just to see what happens in the machinery and the machinations that go with trying to build a roster from absolute zero as expansion teams have to do. Yeah, the expansion draft in particular, going to want to keep an eye on, see how the particulars work, because um, we can expect a pretty similar formula, I'm assuming, for uh, for our expansion draft probably next year. Yes. Probably similar. It might be a little early. Don't know. Well, probably somewhere around the same time because you got the complications of the World Cup at this time next year. So we'll find out more of that later whenever MLS deigns to let us know what the dates will be. One last thing. uh, The U.S. men's national team has an upcoming friendly on December 18th, I believe it is, on that Saturday uh, against Bosnia. Uh, they open a camp mostly with MLS players, some youth and USL players in there, a couple of uh, international players that either not wanted by their club or their clubs come to the end of the season and they're free to go uh, on that. And uh, we're still a week away. It's an interesting list, but we'll cover that in more detail next week for you, lovely listeners. And uh, uh, that's about all I got. Do you got anything, Mason or Sean? Nothing from me. That's all I've got. I guess we're going to wrap it up. And I'm your host, Mike Turner. I'm your producer, Mason. And I'm your resident hooligan, Sean. And we are the Soccer Capital Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.